This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 69 of the Wisdom by Lisa show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Mike Donnell. I'm Casey Wilbanks Coletti. And this is Sophia Aguila. Welcome to Wisdom by Wessa on the Horse Radio Network. This podcast is brought to you by the Western and English Sales Association, WISA, which provides the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives of the equestrian industry. In this podcast, we feature exclusive interviews with noteworthy Western and English personalities, retailers, and exhibitors who you've always wanted to talk to. Don't miss out on all the news for manufacturers and retailers in the equine industry. While we are interviewing past presidents to get ready for WISA's 100th anniversary, we also cannot forget the upcoming August WISA trade show. And there is one event in particular that people can still sign up for, and Sophia is here to tell us more. Yes, that is the Open Benefit Golf Tournament, and it is a special one for many reasons. But for one, it supports the scholarship funding for National Little Purchase Rodeo Association and the National High School Rodeo Association, as many of you guys probably know by now. But it's also the first chance to meet again with WESA members and buyers just right before the trade show kicks off two days later. But more than that, the golf tournament participation is not limited to just WESA buyers and members. We do welcome all amateurs, so you can invite your friends and have them join us on August 24th as well. So that means that this may be a great opportunity for people who are not yet WESA members or buyers, but want to meet and network with people from our industry. And speaking of that, one of the past interviews that we have done with a past president, Jack Tate, he uh, made sure to mention the very first golf tournament in his interview. So in a way, this event is still very connected to our current mini series, uh, which is currently featuring all the past presidents. Yep, that's correct. So Jack Tate first started the golf tournament and worked closely with his son to do so. And in case people want to go back and listen to that episode before the golf tournament, they can look for episode number 67 on the podcast feed or online at westsidetrader.com slash podcast or wisdombywestside.com. Unlike many individuals who have gone on to become leaders in the Western industry and in WESA, Mark Broughton wasn't ranch-raised or even in the country. As a teenager in L.A., his interests were surfboarding and body surfing, followed by his stint as a skier on the slopes in Utah. But he always had a love of horses and spent time with one owned by a family member. He eventually found himself in the Northwest working construction and learned about a saddle-making class at a local junior college. He registered, passed the course, and started a saddle shop as his first step into the Western world. He joins us now to chat about the paths that led him from the beaches in California to serving as a WISA president. Horse owners always pay close attention to the condition of their horse's hoofs. Spotting a problem or an issue is not the same as knowing what to do about it. Each episode of Healthy Hoof features discussions about various philosophies on the health of the hoof and the soundness of your horse, including interviews with professionals in the field, including farriers, trimmers, vets, and body workers. Listen to new episodes and past episodes alike on the Horse Radio Network. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Wisdom by Oisa podcast. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. 
I mentioned in the introduction uh, uh, that I developed after talking yesterday that unlike many people who go on to the same type of leadership positions in the industry uh, and with WISA who started off uh, in the Western lifestyle, your background was totally 100% different, wasn't it? Well, I, I suppose, you know, we all came to the Western industry different ways and mine certainly wasn't traditional. Uh, Growing up uh, in the suburbs of East L.A., I uh, didn't have a whole lot of hands-on experience with uh, livestock and the Western lifestyle, but I was always intrigued by it, and uh, I found my way there um, as an early, younger adult. You found your way there after going to the beach and body surfing and surfboarding. Then you went and did a little bit of skiing. Then you went to the Northwest and were working, as you told me, uh, in construction. And you found a saddle-making class. And I guess that was your first step into the Western lifestyle uh, and Western world. That's right. Yeah, I was uh, very briefly around horses when I was a... Oh, mid-teenager, I guess. Um, my uh, father-in-law knew I had an interest in horses. I would borrow rides or hitchhike as an occasion to go to the Riverside County uh, livestock auction just to observe and kind of be a, smell horses, I guess. I like the, the smell of horse hair. So <laughs> anyway, he uh, he was either given or purchased, purchased a, a horse for a while that I got to spend some time on. I didn't do any kind of particular discipline. I just got to help take care of him and ride him some. Um, and then, uh, and like, like you mentioned, I was primarily a, a typical Southern California kid, uh, spending a lot of time at the beach, um, surfing a little bit, a lot of body surfing, mostly chasing girls on bicycles, that kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I always had an interest. My mom and I, uh, my whole family actually loved to watch Westerns. So I watched Westerns. I read as a young fella. I read a lot of Louis L'Amour and Zane Gray books and uh, was always kind of intrigued with the West. And when I had an opportunity to follow a friend up to Park City, Utah, uh, and I did a short stint in college, and uh, the first college uh, spring break that I uh, was able to participate in, we went up to Park City, Utah, and I kind of learned how to ski. Uh, We went to the top of the gondola, and he said, by the time you get down, you'll be a skier. It didn't really work out that way, but I liked the area so much that I drove back to Southern California. I was living in Pasadena at the time. Loaded everything up, quit my job, quit school, and moved to Park City. Shortly, uh, oh, a couple years into it, as a ski bum, I uh, started exploring some uh, ranch and, and farm, more rural areas around Park City, Utah, and ended up uh, working on some ranches as day work and had a, had a place where I could stay and keep a horse, so I bought a horse. And that was the first horse I purchased. I was about 20, I don't know, 21 years old, maybe. And I've had horses ever since. And that's and really I'm sure what your skiing me. improved over two years, too. Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> but it kind of, you know, the, the the ranch and farm work is really uh, very uh, demanding as far as your time goes. So I kind of, the skiing went on the back burner. I got to ski on occasion, but I primarily just kind of did the, the, the uh, cowboy thing out there. And then you went to the Northwest. 
Yeah, I uh, uh, happened to, I bounced around the, the, a lot of places in the West when I was in my 20s, and um, I uh, was in Prescott, Arizona, met my future wife there, uh, worked for the Forest Service bit. We decided after a couple of years to, to go try this somewhat city life again, so we went to Spokane, Washington. I was a carpenter also, so I did some carpentry work. We were building some really nice custom homes for a small builder I was working for when in the late 70s that home uh, debacle occurred with high interest rates and that pretty much shut the building trades down, at least for custom homes. And at about that time, I saw an ad or heard about the saddle making school right there at the Spokane Community College. So I signed up for it and, and did that and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and, and found that was really to my liking, a bit of craftsmanship, a bit of art, and uh, uh, an introduction to the Western lifestyle. Well, that's a, uh, you know, I think one of the things, and we talked a bit uh, uh, yesterday, I think one of the things you learned prior to uh, going to the saddle shop, uh, course, whatever, uh, working on ranches, working in construction, you learn the value of hard work. And my guess is the appreciation of hard work is carried over into what you've devoted yourself to uh, in the, the Western, uh, Western brand, Western retailing and WISA world. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, one of the beauties of being a, a, a manufacturer's rep and or working in this industry is that you kind of, you know, take one step in front of the other, uh, one step at a time towards that direction that you um, are wanting to go to and, and you get to the best way possible and you find out that it's all about helping uh, those that are your clients get to where they need to be. So it was, you know, I, and I building saddles and working, I, my, I started my first saddle shop in a, in a really uh, well put together Western store in Logan, Utah. And uh, I met a fellow there when, when we moved there for my wife to finish her degree. We, uh, I, I built some product. I was showing it around to the different Western stores and saddle shops to, to peddle some at wholesale. And I happened to meet a very influential man that became very influential to me, um, Vern Goodman, was starting a Western store there. He'd come up from Arizona where his background was in ranching and, and uh, rodeo and uh, horse racing. And he started this Western store and invited me to put my shop in there. And that gave me a really good foundation for my future work on the road. So once we've once you accomplish that, kind of take us forward, if you will, from having a saddle shop in a in a good Western shore to broadening out and doing uh, work for other brands, uh, being interested in WISA. Kind of uh, follow, take us down that path a bit, if you will. Yeah, right. I had that shop uh, for about ten years in the Western store, the Cash Valley Horseman is what it was called. And I started getting a little antsy and uh, got tired of the four walls in that shop. So I started calling around to different saddle manufacturers and I was offered a job with Textan to go on the road for them. Uh, at the same time, when I was in that store, I also would travel over to Denver to participate in the Western, in the WISA show uh, most every year uh, as a buyer. 
So that I had about 10 years' experience in retail and manufacturing and, of course, buying at those trade shows. So I was quite familiar with the whole process. And I was uh, asked then, about seven years into the stint with Textan, to come down to Texas and work as a uh, sales manager and product developer. So I did that for a couple of years, but couldn't get my family to move down there full time. So I ended up coming back to the Rocky Mountains, to Cache Valley or Logan, Utah. And I ended up being a uh, manufacturer, a uh, multi-line rep. So I carried uh, Tony Lama boots, circle-wise saddles. I had a hat line, uh, ropes for team roping, an outerwear line. Uh, leather cream, T-shirts. I had like eight. I had to expand my briefcase considerably to to run all these all these lines, and it was very rewarding, very satisfying. Uh, and then uh, once some of the acquaintances I'd made that uh, on the road that were reps and or board members for WISA uh, kind of recruited me uh, to to run for the board, and I did that, of course. Uh, uh, felt like it was my turn to make a contribution to uh, a, 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 an organization that is helping the industry that I, I, I so love and, and enjoy and uh, provide me with their comfortable livings that I readily accepted. I think one thing that you bring to the board, brought to the board and to your presidency uh, was the dual perspective of many years inside the retail store and then many years as a brand rep. Can you talk a bit about how the experience in uh, both of those arenas, if you will, uh, helped you as you got onto the WISA board and as you look at what WISA was dealing with as a, uh, a Western industry at that time? You know, the foundation I got in that Western store uh, was really beneficial for everything I did after. Um, and joining the board, uh, the same uh, foundation that I had uh, picked up on the road helped me be well-rounded in everything that we were trying to accomplish by serving the members. Um, you know, the way, the best way the board and we tried to serve the members is by putting on the best trade show we could to help the industry in general. And that in itself helps all of us that are participating in that endeavor. So I think, you know, having done it all, working in this in manufacturing, working at retail as a buyer, uh, going down to Yoakum, Texas, and working in the office, uh, I think that just, like you said, gave me a well-rounded uh, perspective on the industry as well a whole. And not just besides that, but actually coming from outside of the Western industry and, and then coming into the Western industry, I, I would have to imagine that brought a significant amount of help in bridging the gap between, between and not just in fashion, but say mainstream fashion with the Western industry. And I'm curious from your perspective, mm -hmm. do you feel that you ever utilized that, you know, the knowledge of coming from outside of our industry inside of it? Well, you, you know, I think um, what you don't know can't hurt you kind of, kind sure. of thing Go, is, it was, is part of that. Um, and that was a, probably beneficial. I didn't know what I couldn't do. So yeah. I just did it. 
Yes. <laughs> and, and in fact, when I, the job that I left uh, in Pasadena at the very mature age of 18 uh, was in f- uh, more uh, younger person fashion. I was managing uh, a store for young people in a really cool area of Pasadena. And that's the job that I was doing for about two years before I left California. And so I, I'd already had some retail experience in the fashion world. Right. So it transferred, you know, sure. into the Western deal pretty, yeah. pretty readily. Yeah, I can imagine that was a huge asset. And I think I, I want to make a mention, anybody that steps up and, and becomes a person, um, I would say, of power, but to donate their time, um, offer their, their time offer their expertise, their knowledge, and their efforts into becoming a president of an organization like WISA. Um, It's it's a big move, and sometimes it can be a very thankless position. Um, And I'm just curious, what encouraged you um, to put your foot forward and uh, become president of WISA? I I might have mentioned it earlier when I was uh, asked if I would... uh, uh, consider being on the board that uh, I, I felt like I wanted to, to help this organization that was so beneficial to the industry as a whole. So that was the primary uh, reason uh, I did it. Once I got there, I was thrilled to be around like-minded people that all had the same objective in mind. And that was to put our own personal uh, desires aside and do what we thought collectively was going to benefit the members the most. And uh, that was really rewarding. Uh, We had, we've always had an excellent staff uh, uh, between Tony High, who was the executive director when I came on the board and had been for the whole time I had been participating in the WISA trade shows. Um, She was there uh, for about 10 years while I was on the board. And then when I, took over the president's chair at that end of the table, uh, she had decided to retire. We had Amy Dill that had been the show director for about 10 years move into her position. So there was like no uh, uh, difficulty in making that transition. So it it was wonderful to to see and be part of that. And And the camaraderie with all the the individuals that were participating on the board had always been very rewarding. Yes. Well, I just have to um, put my hats off to Sophia for putting this mini series together to feature um, past presidents like yourself, because as you mentioned, a lot of times we all, we have the common end goal, but it takes very generous um, people to put their foot forward and become the president or take a position, a leadership position as you did. And it should be recognized as Sophia is doing in this mini series. And I just wanted to make specific mention that um, even though you're a past president, you have been a long time part of the success of WISA. Thanks, Casey. Uh, the other thing I was going to suggest is that I made it sound pretty rosy. There were <laughs> there were times where, uh, m- many times actually, most board meetings would involve some vigorous debate. Uh, a lot of issues came to us, you know, and our job was sure. to provide some direction uh, to the staff that they could then, um, you know, have our backing 
to go forward and execute. And so we would debate, but we would always respect each other's opinion and let everybody speak their mind so we could come to some uh, reasonable consensus. Well, and I think that's that's a mark of a good board. And I've asked this question of others uh, uh, who we've interviewed. Um, What... What recommendations or what comments would you make to a young uh, a brand manager or a young rep um, or uh, someone there who has suddenly been asked if they would consider donating the time and energy to WISA? Because you've done it, you've been through it, you know what it takes from a time standpoint, from everything else, but you clearly are glad you did it. Uh, you clearly respect the other board members. But here we are, we've got a, a, a rep who's been in the business for uh, maybe 10 years, maybe 15, has been to WISA, understands what the show is about, and someone says, you know, you really ought to consider, if you would, uh, joining the board and what comment would you make to, uh, to someone like that? You know, the men, the men and women that uh, do a really good job on the road as manufacturing reps uh, do it, have the same uh, talents that got them where they are as being successful reps. They have the same talents that are required and appreciated in on this board. So if you've gotten, if you've become a successful rep, you already have the talents to do a good job on the WISA board. And they're, if, if they have that, and the, re, the way they get there is by doing what's best for their customers. And that is the same thing that we do and did and always have on that board. So I'm sure that that individual will uh, appreciate and get more out of it than they can give because I think, that's a great an- I think that's a great answer and a great perspective mark this has been fun it really has uh i've enjoyed uh, uh your your story because you did come uh, into the western world from the beaches of la uh, and not everybody followed it, that, followed it that way. But what you talk about in terms of the industry, the board, um, the uh, being president, um, is the same thing as people have said who were born into the Western world. So I think it must be a professional attitude and a professional experience that comes with working day to day in the business that makes the industry work and makes WISA work. You got it. And so I thank you for being on the show. Uh, it's been great talking with you. I clearly enjoyed our pre-conversation yesterday. Um, and so thanks so much for being on Wisdom by WISA. Thanks to all of you and keep up the good work. Thanks so much. We'll try. Thanks, Mark. Show notes for today's show and links for today's show can be found at the wisdombyawisa.com website. And, of course, we'd always love to hear your feedback. We do have a contact link on that website. The Wisdom by Wisa show will be published on the 15th and 30th of every month. You can listen on most of your favorite podcast players, and you can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and super easy to use. 
Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom by Wisa podcast. Wisa, where the industry meets.